We got into court first thing this morning. Peter Dumas, uh, local defense attorney for Nick Hillary, gets up and immediately says there is a Brady situation. In other words, meaning that there is evidence out there that could potentially exonerate his client, Nick Hillary, uh, that wasn't shared with him. And by law, by constitutional rights, it has to be shared with the defense. Okay, so Britt, what was that evidence? So the evidence is that a guy named Gregory Brown claims that he saw John Jones, who's an ex-boyfriend of Tandy Cyrus and deputy sheriff, um, entering the apartment building where Garrett and his family lived moments before Garrett arrived home on the day that he died. In other words, that another potential suspect and who was a suspect at one point in this case entered the building right before was seen right before Garrett by this by this Gregory Brown. Yes, exactly. And so based on that, Peter Dumas asked the judge for a mistrial or a dismissal. Coming up in the podcast, Judge Felix Katina has some questions about all this. Who is Gregory Brown? And somehow the trial gets back on track. Hi, I'm David Summerstein. I'm Britt Hansen. And I'm Lauren Rosenthal. And you're listening to Day by Day, the Nick Hillary trial podcast. We're covering this trial every afternoon after um, the day in court has ended. Uh, Nick Hillary is charged with second degree murder in the 2011 death of 12 year old Garrett Phillips in Potsdam. So, wow, first of all, what a day. It was shocking. Um, This is something that nobody expected. The mood in the courtroom was incredibly intense. It was so intense. Uh, People were like looking around at each other, like what's going on. And then also when there were like little breaks, when the judge sort of went back into chambers or other things were happening, it was hushed in the in the courtroom. You would expect that there would be a lot of drama happening. But people were almost silent, like stunned about what was going on. So when the uh, defense said that there is a Brady issue, the prosecution did not challenge that. They basically agreed, you know, yes, there is a Brady issue. There is a statement out there that uh, could potentially exonerate Nick Hillary that was not provided to the defense. Um, There was missing evidence, essentially. The defense was saying that this was a very serious violation. And Peter Dumas, the local lawyer, uh, spoke about that with the press after uh, after the day was done. There, There's a, a continuing duty by the prosecutor to give us anything that's exculpatory. If we don't get anything from them, then we, we understand and we believe and we have faith in the system that there's nothing that's exculpatory about it. When they handed us that document yesterday, I took one look at it and That was probably the one instance in my whole career of the clearest cut Brady material I've ever seen. All right. So let's go all the way back here and talk about what happened. Now, during the trial today, three people testified. The lawyer for Gregory Brown, who we're going to talk about exactly who he is in just a minute, um, her name is uh, Effie Kyriakopoulos, and also the uh, state investigator, uh, state police investigator, Ted Levison, and uh, Lieutenant 
Mark Murray of the Potsdam Police, who is also the interim uh, police chief of the village of Potsdam uh, Department right now. Um, okay, so they testified, and sort of over the course of all this, we were able to piece together, and the judge obviously was able to piece together this story. Let's start out with who is Gregory Brown? So Gregory Brown is 30 years old. He's currently serving a prison sentence for statutory rape, for possessing a handgun. Um, And then he also allegedly assaulted somebody while he's been in prison. And uh, he pleaded guilty to that. So he is a black man who was living in Potsdam um, as recently as 2011 when he went away to jail. And um, apparently at some point in the last couple of years switched attorneys. And he told this new attorney, Afi Kiriakopoulos, that he might know something about this murder of this 12-year-old boy, Garrett Phillips. This was back in April of 2015, so about a year and a half ago. And uh, Ms. Kiriakopoulos um, said that she let uh, the district attorney's office know this, that there was uh, that her client had something to say uh, about the Garrett Phillips murder case. She actually contacted uh, Levison directly with uh, the information that her client had said, you know, I know something about the Garrett Phillips case. And so she contacted Investigator Levison from the state police uh, violent crimes unit, I think it was, and said, you know, they should maybe get in touch and have a conversation. He said he was going to look into it. And she was really clear at that point. I don't want anybody meeting with my client unless I'm there as his attorney. So he went and he asked St. Lawrence County District Attorney Mary Rain, what should I do? Or at least the district attorney's office. And they said, uh, go um Find out what this Gregory Brown has to say. But the Gregory Brown's lawyer uh, doesn't have to be there. Um, And Ms. Kiriakopoulos sent a couple faxes uh, over uh, one day where she said, you know, hey, I want to be at this meeting, at this interview. Um, And this was at the Attica prison. And she sent those faxes to the district attorney's office, to Levison himself, and also to Judge Jerome Richards, who was sort of overseeing things at the time. A couple days later or a day later, um, not exactly sure of the strict chronology here, but right within that time period, um, Investigator Levison and Lieutenant Mark Murray go to interview Gregory Brown in Attica prison without the lawyer present. And we find out through the testimony that Mark Murray was taking notes and that then uh, State Investigator Levison typed up those notes, made a synopsis, a statement, essentially. Yeah, so he essentially took, you know, I think Murray even said, I took a photocopy of the notes, passed them on to Levison. He typed them up, sort of doing him a solid, doing him a favor. Um, and then Levison sent those notes via email back to Murray with explicit instructions to please make a lead sheet Uh, based on this conversation, and also make sure that this gets into the case file through the district attorney. So Mark Murray, he said he was pretty sure that he sent this on to the district attorney, but he couldn't remember if it was by email. He said he thought it might have been paper, um, in paper form, but he couldn't be absolutely positive exactly how he was going to go through his records. So St. Lawrence County District Attorney Mary Rain, she said that she could fairly assertively say that this statement, this 
this material was this in, the results of this interview. It was not made into a lead sheet. It was not made available to me, she said. And fair, I can fairly assertively say it was not provided to our office. But Mark Murray seemed to say he was pretty sure he thought he did, although he never said sort of positively. Right. And another thing that Rain said today um, was that the investigators went to Attica to, to talk to Brown of their own accord, that they were just sort of taking initiative in the case and that you know, no direct order came from her. But during testimony of both Murray and Levison today, we heard them both say that they went uh, at her at her request. OK, so we end up with this statement from Gregory Brown that says that Gregory Brown saw another person go into Garrett's apartment building just before Garrett did on the afternoon that he died and that that other person was John Jones, the deputy sheriff, ex-boyfriend of Tandy Cyrus. What do we make of all this? I mean, you know, obviously this is this the judge took this all in. In the end, he decided that it wasn't uh, worthy of a mistrial that uh, justice could still uh, be delivered as long as the defense got the opportunity to talk with Gregory Brown and uh, determine and got the time to sort of work him into their case if they saw fit. And uh, amazingly, the trial sort of just went on after that. I mean, like 30 seconds, he made his announcement, he made his decision, and boom, the trial was back on and we heard from another seven or so witnesses. Now, that seems crazy to us non-legal eagle people, but I, while you guys were at the courthouse, I was back here at the office talking with a bunch of legal experts who've been following this case and they were really shocked. Not shocked, though, that it got back on track so quickly, actually. Vincent Bonventry, who's a professor at Albany Law School, told me that this is exactly what he thought would happen, that there would be no mistrial. But that doesn't mean that there won't still be consequences potentially for the prosecutors who definitely and admittedly suppressed information about this guy, Greg Brown, existing. Or if not if not suppressed, failed to provide. Yes, exactly. If they believed uh, that there was good ground for discipline, then they could uh, discipline uh, the prosecutor just like they could discipline any attorney, right, any member of the New York bar. Absolutely. And we should also say, in the end, the uh, defense got a hold of the statement. They said that they sort of heard about Gregory Brown back in February of this year, but that they did, they thought it had to do with John Jones. They weren't talking about John Jones. They were talking about Nick Hillary. Uh, and, they dis- and they didn't look into it any further. And it wasn't until uh, yesterday morning that they found out that there was an actual statement and there was an actual thing. And they brought it up to the judge. And uh, the prosecution in judges' chambers uh, provided it to the defense um, yesterday morning. And that's when this whole thing with Gregory Brown, we talked about it on the podcast at the end of the podcast yesterday. Um, Now, what did you talk to legal experts about this? Let's just get a little sense of their opinion a little bit. They were pretty gobsmacked. I think it's fair to say they were really surprised that something like this had happened. They felt that it was really cut and dry. If you have a witness who claims they have 
exculpatory evidence that's going to look good for the defendant, it kind of doesn't matter if you don't think they're credible. Like Mary Rain said in court today, there were a couple of reasons why Gregory Brown's testimony didn't seem super great. You guys were reporting on Twitter that, um, you know, he said he saw John Jones's truck at the apartment complex as well. And the prosecution says surveillance videos are going to show definitively that truck never budged from John Jones's house. So that doesn't really make sense. Kind of not looking good there. Um, Apparently, Gregory Brown also saw uh, Garrett with his backpack, but said he was just walking, not with his uh, ripstick, a.k.a. uh, skateboard ish thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, some inconsistencies that don't make sense with what we know definitively based on these surveillance videos so far. But also uh, Mark Judah, who's a defense attorney who used to actually work in St. Lawrence County, said that doesn't matter. It's not actually up to the prosecution to decide if his words are invalid and don't matter and don't apply here. Okay, that's your opinion or that's that's your evaluation of his testimony. That's the argument I would be making if I was defense. Why did you never disclose it? If you didn't find it to be important, then it shouldn't have been any issue for you to disclose it to us, which is what your obligation is, so that we can make a determination as to whether or not we could substantiate the story. Okay, so on to uh, what happened next and what's going to happen tomorrow. And as far as uh, Gregory Brown is concerned, uh, Bill Fitzpatrick uh, with the prosecution said that Brown would be brought to the um, the local lockup, he said, uh, in Canton and by 9.30 tomorrow morning and would be made available for the defense to talk to him. And uh, the defense team said in the afternoon in the press conference that they weren't exactly sure whether they'd be able to talk to him uh, tomorrow or maybe on Thursday when there's a scheduled off day from the trial. Meanwhile, now let's go back to after lunch. The judge made his big decision. He said no mistrial. He said, boom, let's get back on track with the trial. And we heard some testimony from a lot of several family members of Garrett Phillips um, and also um, his friend who saw him playing basketball. And I wouldn't say anything quite remarkable, um, establishing a couple things. Yeah, there was nothing super surprising. It seemed like the prosecution was continuing to sort of look at establishing their pattern of seeing Hillary as obsessive um, in in their interviewing of family members. That's really where they went again. And then um, they just focused with the last few uh, the last few witnesses about Garrett's walk home or Garrett's ride home. He passed. He was, you know, he was playing basketball with his friend Teddy, and Teddy was on the stand today. He's 16 years old, um, and just talking about that that last day playing basketball with Garrett. And then um, his cousin Garrett's cousin Kayla uh, happened to be at a, a soccer game um, at the high school, and and passed by Garrett on his way home. They stopped and shared a couple bites of popcorn. Um, and she's on video surveillance. So we looked at that video surveillance um, from the high school parking lot. But really, it was nothing new and groundbreaking, just sort of laying out, it seemed like, what were the events of that last day of Garrett's life and who did he interact with? Mm-hmm. And also Teddy Rice, a.k.a. Caleb Bryce, that's his real name, um, and his uh, father also testified. And they uh, said that they saw Nick Hillary in his car uh, coming, going essentially away from Nick Hillary's house and then turning onto Grove Street, sort of 
in the direction of Garrett Phillips' um, apartment building. Early, this was at like 4.50 in the afternoon, and I and it's sort of a, a uh, an interesting timeline there. And I were not done hearing the prosecution side laying out this entire timeline. So let's just leave it at there. Um, tomorrow, more testimony. Uh, Fitzpatrick said that they were going to get into the the video evidence in earnest, um, and uh, we'll go from there. So it was an extraordinary day in court today. Um, Thanks to both of you for uh, being a part of it. Um, you, if you have any questions for us, please uh, email us, news at ncpr.org. We're live tweeting at NCPR. We also have our own Twitter accounts, at David NCPR. I'm at Laurenthal. I'm at BN Hansen. And I also want to mention that we've got photos going up every day on the Tumblr. Uh, I'm one of the full pool fool that's not good <laughs> i'm one of the pool photographers and so every day we just have some shots from inside the courtroom that can kind of give you a sense of what's the scene like and how does the environment feel and they're great photos especially considering there's sometimes challenges with uh with lighting and stuff mm-hmm. like that um okay well thank you very thank you all very very much for listening and uh, we'll be back at you tomorrow